Welcome to Antimatter Pod, a Star Trek podcast where we discuss fashion, feminism, subtext, and subspace, hosted by Annika and Liz. Today, we're discussing Star Trek Prodigy Season 1, Episode 13, All the World's a Stage. And I am outraged that you won't let me record this entire episode in my Shatner voice. I would go crazy after... Three minutes. <laughs> and I certainly don't have one of the better Shatner imitations out there. <laughs> this is, you know, where I remind everyone that I am often accused of not having a funny bone to not understanding comedy. <laughs> I don't like those jokes. I promise I will not inflict my Shatner voice on you or anyone else out there. So let's quickly cover our initial scene with Janeway and the Diviner. And once again, we see water being animated as the diviner spills his drink. And it's just, it's magnificent. I love it. I could watch these people animate water all day. It's beautiful every time. Yeah. My only comment on this scene is that the diviner says that Chakotay was imprisoned. Mm -hmm. And I want to know if he is the one who imprisoned him. I think that's a safe bet. But then I also think, well, that's so obvious that maybe there is a twist and someone else imprisoned Chakotay, but seems unlikely. And what, sold the protostar to the diviner? Yeah, look, it doesn't doesn't work with the information we have right now. I want to flag the bit where the officers are walking through the corridor and they're like, this doesn't sound like Captain Chakotay. And I once again want to point out that Chakotay is capable of many things. It's funny... How does anyone even know what Captain Chikose is like? <laughs> I just think of all the times he switched sides in Voyager, not just Starfleet to Marquis back to Starfleet, but in Year of Hell, he is totally on Anorax's side and willing to help him out right up until Anorax goes too far. Like, Chicote loves a deluded, powerful person with a goal. I'm not saying that I ship Chakotay and the Diviner, but maybe I ship Chakotay and the Diviner. <laughs> Plot twist! <laughs> Congratulations, Gwyn. Now you have two dads. Oh my goodness. Yeah. It's like that, that TV series, My Two Dads, but it's Chakotay and the Diviner. <sighs> one's good, one's evil. Janeway is confused. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Okay, so that was good. Now let's talk about the of the episode. I'm upset that I said that after talking about my two dads. <laughs> so one of my rules of thumb for deciding is this a good Star Trek episode is, is this a story that could only be told with this series and this crew? And it's funny because this is almost a Lost Lower Decks episode, and yet it works perfectly well, I'd say even better for Prodigy. I think it's great. I think that the earnestness of the Enterpriseans would have been a, a joke mm. in Lower Decks. And again, I don't like comedy, so I want it to be celebrated and mm. not made fun of. And so I, I appreciate the way they did it here. That doesn't mean, like, so we've seen comparisons to this episode to Galaxy Quest, which is definitely a comedy and which is definitely 
making fun of the aliens, but only up to a point. And then it's all about celebrating the earnestness, not only of the aliens, but also of the cast and the fans on Earth. Yes. So I'm not saying Lower Decks couldn't do it, but it would be harder. It would have to hit that Galaxy Quest sweet spot. I feel like the Lower Decks version would have Beckett Mariner giving a speech about how Starfleet sucks and pretending you're in Starfleet is ridiculous. And then something would happen and she would have to concede her grudging love for Starfleet and respect for the Enterpriseians. Which would also be great. Like, I went into this expecting to have some strong negative feelings because of my feelings about fanish nostalgia and the Star Trek nostalgia machine and Strange New Worlds. And I didn't come away with any of that. I felt Mm. like the line, they really think they're Starfleet, was probably not intended as a gentle rebuke of the fans who use hashtag we are Starfleet in their bios, but then go out and bully people. But Mm. it was not as entirely celebratory as I feared. Because on the one hand, you have these wonderful, earnest, kind people. And on the other hand, you have this culture which is completely stagnated because of this... Mm this contact with Starfleet. It's a real, oh, hey, maybe the Prime Directive is actually a good moment for me. (laughs) I have actually very complicated feelings about this pretty simple episode. It was very straightforward. There were no twists. There were no mysteries. It was very, (laughs) there's a problem and we have to solve the problem in order to you know, save the people and this is how it all works out. Mm -hmm. But there's this sort of underlying, really interesting thread of that same like fanish nostalgia, which I called entertainment because definitely they are using the encounter with Starfleet as entertainment. They have a whole play about it. So it's entertainment affecting culture versus entertainment as culture. Yes, yes. Which I think is very similar to, like, making statements on Twitter as activism versus <laughs> marching as activism. Like, there's yes. the, there are different levels, and I think that if we get stuck in this entertainment as culture thing, like, entertainment affecting culture is good, entertainment as culture, not so good. It's yeah. interesting because the play reminded me of the passion plays that you used to have in medieval Europe around Easter, and that was the whole Easter story as entertainment, but also as a way of, you know, communicating the events and the emotions to an illiterate populace. And Mm -hmm. so that was a really interesting cultural detail to me. And also, you know, culture as entertainment, entertainment as culture. To an extent, that is a valid thing. It's when you make your entire identity or your entire community's identity around being a Marvel fan or a Star Wars fan or a Trekkie. That's when it becomes insular and toxic. Right. Obviously, Star Trek has affected a lot, you know, has affected science, has affected philosophies. And that's all good, well and good. But if it, as you say, if it becomes your entire identity or if it's like, or my goal is to live in Starfleet. Yes. Um, not to like create 
an environment where Starfleet could exist, but to live in Starfleet, which I, I acknowledge is a thin line, but I do see the line. And I think that that's when you get that toxicity because it, it feels like when you attack Star Trek or you say, I don't like this thing that happened, or you say, hey, Star Trek could have done this particular plot better. It feels like an attack against your culture. Yes. Then it becomes personal and then it becomes more of a problem. Yeah, and certainly it is always hard to see something you love being criticised, but sometimes that's just part of being a grown-up, you know. I think it's really interesting that this was a very simple, straightforward episode and yet it raises all of these complicated feelings and conversations and I think that's a sign of how successful it is. Right. That's what's so interesting. And it's, again, why it's on this particular series is because it's simplistic enough for kids to follow. You know, young kids. Yes, small children. And yet it has a lot of depth for the, you know, the older kids and the teens and the adults who were also watching along. Again, I don't think Prodigy has had an outright bad episode yet, and that's outstanding. We're into, excuse me, we're into 13 episodes, so that's like a full season of a Netflix or Paramount Plus adult series. So, well done them. You have this note we truly love when they watch Star Trek on Star Trek, and I agree. (laughs) It's a gimmick, for Mm -hmm. sure. It's a trope, but I love it. It is one of my favourite things whenever... This series, and it does it, I, I put some examples here, but it does it in other times too. Whenever there's an episode where they sort of, they're winking at the audience, but not in a, like an Easter egg way or not in a cheap way, but mm. in a very earnest way in a, we see you audience, this one's for you <laughs> type of thing. It's like fan service, but not about the fan service. It's about this larger idea of they think they're Starfleet. <laughs> you know, they're sort of saying, hey, hey, Star Trek fans, we get you and we're pleased that you're here. So I put in here the list, Galaxy Quest, Muse, and Far Beyond the Stars. And again, I don't think those are the only ones, no. but those are the three that came up for me. Galaxy Quest, I realize it's in Star Trek, but everyone says it's the best Star Trek movie. So. It is, so. But then these are three very different episodes, very different Tones, again, Galaxy Quest is a comedy. Mm-hmm. Muse is a Shakespearean or, you know, Greek old school theatrical presentation. And Far Beyond the Stars is noir and tragic. Yeah. <laughs> but they all at their heart are about the only way that we can be Starfleet is for you to live it outside in your real life mm. and again not pretending to be in star trek but working to create the environment where star trek exists being a curious and open-minded and decent person yeah exactly yeah putting community ahead of your individual needs while respecting individual agency and boundaries like there's that balance mm. yes but i think is very clear in both Far Beyond the Stars and Muse. They're both about the community has to come ahead, but you have to respect people in order, like communities are made up of people and you have to respect all of them. Yeah. 
you know, I've read a lot about like the pure communism of the experiments of the early Soviet Union and China. And it was very much the community is all, the individual is nothing. And so, of course, they failed because they've disregarded their foundation. Community and individuals within a community, that's important. I have to confess that I don't remember much of Muse. I'm not up to it in my rewatch. The only thing I remember about it is that something happens and Balana becomes the muse to the species and they're like creating plays based on Voyager and there's a full Greek style tragedy with Janeway Chakotay kissing and obviously I was very (laughs) into that. So Balana and her shuttle crash land on a planet much like what happens with Ensign in this particular Mm. one. And she has to repair the shuttle and she needs, you know, different things from the planet in order to get them. And so she goes in, she has to be in disguise. She meets up with a playwright who, much like in Shakespeare in Love, (laughs) he's like a, a, a playwright who had one hit and now everybody wants more, but he doesn't have, he can't write anything. And so he befriends Bellana and he starts putting on plays about Voyager so he's just in it to get, you know, more stories and and more fame and more and you know, make his life better. And it's this interesting retelling of Voyager, and she learns things about her community by watching the play. And you know, she's like, "This is all wrong," but then he's like, "No, but it's more interesting this way." And there's this interesting back and forth about is the truth more important or is the story more important mm. that's another thing that i just think is very meta <laughs> it's it was sort of like a, a fan fiction in reality type episode because yeah this, you know, it, it was like basically saying fan fiction is good mm. <laughs> or at least that can be read into it if you're me so i really like this episode and it has the same earnestness in the ending where like she helps him do his final performance of the big finale and she beams up on stage so he like creates magic and and this whole thing so you can imagine that then when they leave he will keep telling the stories of voyager and you know Mm -hmm. his own little fan fiction and the philosophies of starfleet will continue on through that planet and that's sort of where this episode leaves it too Right. And Far Beyond the Stars, I think everyone knows Far Beyond the Stars, where Cisco hallucinates that he is an author of science fiction in the Golden Age, dealing with racism as his publisher refuses to take his story about the black commander of a space station. And that is a really grim take on Star Trek as story. It's really cool to map all the characters onto icons of science fiction literature in the 50s and 60s, the outcome is that Cisco, as Benny Russell, ultimately suffers terribly. It's a great episode. I would definitely watch it with an older child, but I wouldn't just plonk a young child down on the couch to watch some Star Trek. Yes, it's definitely more, but it's Deep Space Nine. <laughs> so. Yes, that's Deep Space Nine for you. But I see the same. There is still, at the end of that episode, I love that episode. It's one of my favorite episodes of Star Trek because it is literally about again it's about us Mm. it's about the fans and about the people writing star trek it's about the people dreaming about star trek it's about the people 
believing in Star Trek and you know at the end he says you're both the dreamer and the dream yeah because you're that author who's imagining that there could be a future where a black man would be in charge of an entire space station and you're also that man who is in charge of the entire space Mm. station and it's another one of those things where I feel like if we you know it's simplistic to say if you see it you can be it but it's also the first step to doing it absolutely so when my son who is now 17 I don't believe that I know (laughs) I don't believe it either but we went to Star Trek Mission New York Mm -hmm. the first one and it was the 50th anniversary of Star Trek and the first thing we did was get in line to speak with Sirach Lofton. Yes. Who plays Jake, who is, you know, now my age, <laughs> but was 11 when he, when he started Deep Space Nine or about that. And, you know, my white son, mm-hmm. you know, said, you're the person in Star Trek that I think I'm the most like. That's amazing. <laughs> Again, it, it seems simplistic to say, like, he he can get past skin color but we're always told that you can't you know Mm. why do we have to have black captains why do we have to have black mermaids why do we have to have black jedi you know they can just like luke they can just (laughs) like ariel and it's like yeah but also why do we have to have white (laughs) captains yeah Yeah. you know why can't your son want to be jake there's no reason for it. Jake is a character who is lonely and finds friends who are outside his culture and decides he doesn't want to follow in his dad's footsteps and wants to tell stories. You know, my son's an artist. Yeah. He wants to make video games and comic books. Like, I absolutely see Jake in him. Absolutely. I think that we need these stories and we need a rainbow to to get there. We need diverse stories and diverse characters. Yeah. And we need we need Dahl. You know, he's the new Jake. So I was thinking that as you said it. He doesn't have a dad to rebel against. He's not a storyteller, but he is lonely and he is finding his way the same way Jake did. Whereas Wesley is you know, Wesley always knew his path and it's only at the last minute that he stepped off it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, Wesley's the traditional gifted and talented kid. <laughs> Burns out at 20, yes. Yep. The other thing I wanted to talk about, you have discussed several times how your introduction to Star Trek was through seeing it staged as a play. Yes. How did you feel watching this okay. introduction to TOS for the young audience? When they went and they sat down and they and they opened the curtains and it was like the two consoles and the, I was like, this is exactly the, what I'm talking about. It's amazing. This is what I mean. I was like, Aaron Walke was was listening to me talk about this on on the you know the many times like you said that I've told that story. Someone overheard because it was exactly the same. It was amazing to me. And I think that that is wonderful. I love, like, it's one of those things where this is an animated series, right? Mm -hmm. And 
there are live action series and there are live action films and there are books and there are video games. And I think that absolutely anything can be an entry point to Star Trek. Yes. And we should have, I get that we should have as many as possible because every kid is different and will respond more to one over the other. Yes. And so like, bring on the stage plays, <laughs> bring on the interpretive dance. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see all of it. You can't tell me that Gates McFadden would not be up for choreographing Star Trek, the interpretive dance. Absolutely. I would definitely contribute to that <laughs> Kickstarter. I think what's special about Prodigy is that it's designed as an entry point and it's creating all sorts of, I started thinking of them as wormholes into the other series, whether that's Voyager through the presence of Janeway and Chakotay, whether that's the next generation through Murph, as it turns out, and now TOS. And I think presenting TOS as a stage play is so smart because if a kid watches this and then goes back to the original series, they have a context for the clunkiness of the design and the special effects. They can say, imagine this on a stage. I saw Harry Potter and the Cursed Child and there were masses of kids in the audience and they were so excited about seeing something live for the first time in their lives. And its special effects were on a par with the original series. And I say that with the greatest of respect. So I think we actually do have a generation of young people who are sort of primed to appreciate stage work and primed to appreciate vintage television. Yes, absolutely. I think it was very smart to show it. And that's why the impersonations mm. of Kirk and Spock and Sulu and Scotty were good it was good to have those because then they can be like oh oh yeah that and because everything in in tos is it's over the top like yes. like it's because that's how it was in the 60s and as much as we make fun of william shatner it wasn't that he was too much it was that watching it in the 80s watching it in the 90s watching it in the 2000s it's too much because TV is different now. Yes. TV is up, up front and... And large. Yeah, you and know, large. Shatner had to emote out of a tiny box in the corner of your lounge room. My mother yeah. didn't even have colour TV when she watched the original series. And I remember yeah. a few years ago, oh, this is a long time ago now, because I was watching the very earliest episodes of Doctor Who on my iPod, and that tiny iPod screen was the perfect medium for such old television because it was crisp, clear, and the acting was just the perfect scale for the size of the screen. And so, yes, getting kids to imagine these characters on a stage and emoting to the back of the room, that's, mm -hmm. that's so smart. And it is also, it's very colourful. Yes. Everything is big and goofy and ridiculous. And so it, it was, it was, it was, I liked it. It was very fun. It was very sweet. It made me appreciate TOS more even. Yeah. I really struggled with the idea that we have this culture who has models themselves, like their speech and even their personalities on these people that they never met. But then you had the scene with their doctor, Bones, I'm going to call him because I can't remember what they called him, where he acknowledges that they don't have the technology and 
they're imitations, but they're doing their best and they're still doing good work. And that really meant a lot to me, that self-awareness. Maybe I'm reading too much into it because obviously I'm bringing my own baggage, but, you know, the kids also brought their own baggage. It was basically the same thing that they said at the end of last episode where we do have the technology and so we should use it for good. Mm. I feel like maybe Dahl was saying it in his log that he was saying something like, you know, we're not Starfleet and we can't go anywhere near Starfleet and everyone's feeling bad about that. You know, Jenkins is trying to fix things mm. and, and can't. But these people didn't even have the ship. They didn't even have the protostar. All they had was the philosophy. All they had was the idea that they could do these things. Yeah. And, and we're still, you know, doing their best. So I think that is important because we... <laughs> here in the 21st century don't have any of that <laughs> but what if we tried yes and i think one thing that came out of the midterms is that americans are decent people and america wants to be a center-left country and that was really heartening i know you know you're still probably going to lose the house and maybe the senate and that really sucks but most americans are good and i think a lot of you needed that reassurance. Yes, we absolutely did. It was amazing. I I was watching the news and refreshing Twitter, and I was mm. like, I don't understand why things aren't bad right now. <laughs> I was having so many flashbacks to all of the other elections <laughs> that were so bad. That's how I felt in May when we elected our new government, even though they are terrible. But they're terrible in a centre way, so we can just keep dragging them to the left. <laughs> the bar is so low. So low. <laughs> Speaking of low bars, let's talk about Starfleet poisoning ecosystems and then just warping out. Like, that is where I was like, this could be a Lower Decks episode. Yeah. Again, I am so proud of every every series in new track for being like actually so two facts sometimes starkly messes up kind of a lot yeah <laughs> and, and i just really appreciate that i again it's a low bar <laughs> but <laughs> i just want them to say you know hey we make mistakes and for that to be Okay, like the little guys. We make mistakes, but we're still trying. We're still doing it. And if you can't acknowledge Starfleet's mistakes, how can you let Starfleet improve? Exactly. I mean, that's the whole thing of, it. you know, that's the, the everybody gets a trophy, which, first of all, doesn't actually exist. But kids shouldn't ever feel like they've failed or made a mistake or done mm. poorly. How do you, how you live like that? Right. Because then if you fail, you don't have any of the coping mechanisms for getting back up and trying again. It's much, much better to say, oh, well, that didn't work. Let's, you know, let's do it another way. You can be sad. You can cry about it. You can feel awful. That's okay. Those things are good. You have those emotions for a reason, Spock. <laughs> and so... I don't even know where I'm going with this, but... <laughs> I have a conclusion for you, which is that okay. Picard and Beyonce taught us that you can do nothing wrong and fail anyway. But That's right. we also need to learn that you can do something wrong and still keep going. Right. And do better. 
and do better. And so as much as I would really like to know why the Enterprise just left their poor ensign to die and didn't even like try to retrieve his body or the shuttlecraft that was poisoning the planet. I, I definitely have questions. Since it was a primitive mm. civilization that was under the Prime Directive and they weren't supposed to be talking to them at all. Okay, so that explains why there wasn't contact. But did they think that the shuttle was gone? Did they think it, like... My theory <clears throat> is that they didn't actually know where the shuttle went down and... Mm -hmm there was sufficient evidence that Spock could reasonably conclude that the shuttle was destroyed in space. And so they had their funeral, they mourned for both the Ensign and the Galileo, who, which is a good shuttle, and then they had to move on. And, yeah. It's weird that he was alone? I just feel like maybe with a Y7 series, you can't have the kids discovering the ancient corpse of a Starfleet officer in a shuttle. You're, you're saying I should input in my head canon that there were like three other people in that shuttle, but they died. Yes. <laughs> okay, that's fine. Jenkins saw the bodies and he was like, I'm just not going to tell Rock Talk about this. That's fair. That's yeah, fair. yeah. I really enjoyed this episode for Jenkin because I started out finding him very irritating and then, thanks to some very good dialogue, I understood that his problem is that he feels helpless and unable to do anything and that's making him act out, basically. And I was like, my precious son, let me give you a hug. Can we wrap up by talking about Murph's metamorphosis? Yes. So, it's very... I mean, he's in a chrysalis. Yes. So is he going to have wings? I am not prepared for Murph to change in any way. I only just got my plushie. I need my plushie to stay current, and I love Murph as he is. However, what if Murph can somehow get even cuter? What if Murph could get even cuter? I mean, it's very... I don't know if I want him to be, like, a lizard, you know... Or a butterfly. Will he, will he have more to say yeah i'm curious what's gonna happen to murph murph is murph thus far has not contributed <laughs> to the protostar in any way other than being a, a sweet cute thing that eats i mean that's enough they can use him for experiments and other than that he is their pet and I don't ask my cat to contribute in any meaningful way to the household because I know the answer is going to be no. So Yeah, but see, that's what I'm saying. Is Murph going to end up being less of a pet and more of a crew member? Yeah. I know. I'm still gunning for the personhood <laughs> of the weapon. And so, I, I like, we can't make everyone a person. I want Murph to stay a pet. Okay. But maybe that's just because I feel bad. Like, if, if Murph was a person, I would feel bad about all the photon torpedoes they let him eat. I don't know what I want. I wish Murph wasn't m morphing. Yeah. I want Murph to not morph. I don't. I don't really like this growing up morph. morph. Yeah, I don't. I, I'm not here for change. I don't like change. You just said growing up, and I'm like, oh no. Now Murph is a puberty metaphor, which is great, and like I'm sure the audience needs that. But just for once, can they not take me, the forty-year-old in the room, into account? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what I want, so I'm going to see what they do. Yeah, I don't know what I want either. 
Because has a place, and his place is cat and shit. Slime <laughs> cat. I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Like, I don't hate it, I'm just concerned. Oh, I almost forgot. When Janeway says that the rules around second contact are very fuzzy, I just wanted Captain Freeman to, like, lean in to the frame and say, and whose fault is that? Because it's not mine. I've been trying. Yes, I know. I thought of her too. I was like, oh. And I was trying. I was sitting there trying to figure out, like, the timeline. <laughs> I was like, wait, wait, is this before or after? Like, Prodigy because... is five years after the end of Voyager, and I feel like... Lower decks has to be around the same time. They're both pre-Romulan. Trying to figure it out. Yeah, everyone's trying yeah. to figure it out. Yeah, because they realize they have had enough time to you know to go by to realize that they have left a few cultures mm-hmm. down. Yes, and they need to fix that. Yes, if they want to be a good federation. <laughs> they need to actually be a little bit more careful. Mm. Hence Chakotay's Delta Quadrant Apology Tour. Yes, exactly. Hence the entirety of Lower Decks. Right. But now I very much like the idea, and someone should write fig that it might have to be me, of Admiral Janeway and Captain Freeman and Captain Chakotay discussing this. Working it out. Yeah. Okay, okay, now I've said everything. You? <laughs> Thank you for listening to Antimatterpod. You can find our show notes at antimatterpod.com, including links to our social media, credits for our theme music, and transcripts of our episodes. Annika is literally cringing. I'm just going to stop. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, and Instagram, all at Antimatterpod, and write to us at mail at antimatterpod.com. If Twitter ceases to exist, don't forget to follow us on Tumblr and Instagram. We rarely update Facebook because I never remember it exists. <laughs> if you like us, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you consume your podcasts. The more reviews, the easier it is for new listeners to find us. And join us next week when we'll be discussing the next episode of Star Trek Prodigy. <laughs> That was very clean. Very good. Very good. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> Live long and prosper. Live long and proper. <laughs>